But isn't it incredible that we decided that just telling you the story of Jonah wasn't enough. We wanted to draw you in, kind of full immersion into the story of Jonah. And so what we've seen today is we've seen a reenactment of people being covered in almost something like fish vomit. There's about eight young people at the front there that as that table went, they literally got flood. They, it covered them from head to toe. I don't know if you saw. I've, man, it was incredible. And just now there may be some smells that start to just resonate around the room. That's to help you really enter into the story of Jonah as we come to finish. On this last day, I needed to try and explain to you, I suppose, the root of my roller coaster fear. Because I wonder if some of you, you were judging me when I told you my story on Tuesday. Either because I'm scared of roller coasters or because I could scream that high. That's probably why the two judges were coming in the room. I want you to cast your mind back and try and imagine me as a 10-year-old. Sweet, innocent 10-year-old Martin. Loved life. Loved people. Just wanted to have fun. Went to a theme park with my parents and my brother. 10 years old, really excited. First time I'd really been to one. Couldn't wait. And my mum and dad said, we're going to go on this this ride. And this was a ride... I don't even know the name of it. It was in Norfolk, which is obviously where we are, which you wouldn't really think. Norfolk's a safe place to go. It's just got tractors and cows and sheep or whatever. There was this theme park in Norfolk. I don't even know if it still exists. But at the time, it had, I think it was like the world's highest log flume that ever existed. And so my parents somehow, I don't even know, but they persuaded me to go on this ride with them. This is the root of my roller coaster fears, okay? Stick with me. It's 10 years old, we go on this roller coaster. It has been bigged up as like you're reading all these signs and it's saying, this is Europe's highest ever, blah, blah, blah. So I'm feeling fearful, a little bit anxious, a little bit excited. I've never been on one before. What to expect? I've heard great things about roller coasters from people like you. I'm thinking, this is going to be fantastic. Queue for ages. That's the other thing about roller coasters, isn't it? The queue. The, the queue is so long that you're kind of like, you're too tired. You kind of lose any anticipation or fear because you've been standing there for hours. We get to the front. And the four of us go on. I get to sit in the front because I'm the youngest and the smallest. Uh, and, it, you know, we get into the thing. And like any good roller coaster, it starts with going up, doesn't it? You know, like it kind of like, it's really, it goes so slow. It's like, <laughs> and you're going up. Now, at this point, I'm thinking, I really wish I hadn't come on this. That was probably the moment where revelation came to me that I don't think I'm going to be that kind of thrill-seeker person that goes on those crazy rides. But it's going up, and then it drops. And I was like, oh, that was all right, actually. Didn't, didn't mind that at all. That was, that was pretty safe. I feel like I could do this. I could be one of those people. Roller coasters, there's nothing to fear. It starts going back up again, and I'm thinking we're going back to the start, because obviously we'd gone down, so you've got to go back up to the start. So we're going up. Any second now, we're going to get off. Keep going up. Keep going up. Keep going up. Until we suddenly come out into an opening, and I promise you, you could see the entire world. That's how high we were. Ten-year-old me at the front, I see it. I'm thinking I'm about to get off this ride, and suddenly this thing drops. Now, as you could imagine, if 25-year-old Martin screamed as high, think about what 10-year-old Martin was like. As this thing dropped, I'm like, <gasps> going down, screaming, feeling like I'm about to die. And then as it lands, you're like a log flume, it hits the water. As it lands, two things happen to me. I am, I'm going to be really vulnerable with you now. Number one is, I smashed my nose on the front of the thing. Yeah, see, now you can understand. Number two is, I wet myself. Yeah, thank you. The trauma still lives with me to this day. 
That's where the root of my fears of roller coasters come from. And what Jonah's going to learn in this chapter is that life really is a roller coaster. There are some great highs in life, but there are some real lows. There are real low moments like when you smash your face into a log flume front thing and wet yourself at the same time. It's not a great experience. Jonah goes through that. So let's read Jonah chapter 4 together and let's see what his experience of the high and lows of life are. Is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city, and sat to the east of the city, and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head, to save him from the discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down in the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, Is it better for me to die than to live? But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pitted a plant for which you did not labour, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in the night and perished in the night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Now that may be the greatest ending to any book in the Bible, and also much cattle. Let's leave that with you, take that away, consider that. I love the fact that it's there, it's so ridiculous. But anyway, what we see in chapter four, two things I want to show you today. The first is this, Jonah still has issues. He's still got problems. After a week like New Day, after the experiences that we've had, to the highs of this week of maybe giving our lives to Jesus for the first time, of maybe running back to God and stopping running away from him. Maybe it was healing last night that God healed you. Maybe it was uh, the night before as we had time for the Holy Spirit to minister to us. You met with God. Maybe it was just in conversations with your friends at the campsite, with your youth team, with your leaders. Maybe you've had moments of great highs and you're leaving New Day thinking, from now on, Life is going to be phenomenal. I am going to be an incredible Christian from this moment. Jonah encourages us at the end because he still has issues. And we will still have issues. I love how it starts. We see it again. But Jonah, oh, he was doing so well. Chapter 3 was like his moment. You know, it's like, yes, Jonah's done something right for once. He obeyed God. He did a great thing. And then it says, but it displeased Jonah. I love this. He's angry at God because God didn't wipe out 120,000 people. He's literally upset with God about that. He's like, he wanted to have this amazing story where he's, he's left where he lived. He's gone to Nineveh and he's like, repent of your ways or God will destroy you. And then as he steps out of the city, like this kind of meteor falls from the sky and just like, everyone's dead. And he walks back like, guys, anything I tell you, you better do. Because if you don't, this is what will happen. He's displeased with God that he didn't wipe out an entire city. Just think about that for one second. God used someone to bring a message of hope and good news who generally wanted them all to die. 
He is a God of miracles, right? And if he can use Jonah, he can use us. He can use the guy that wet himself when he was 10 coming down a roller coaster to encourage you this week because God is the God that will use anyone. He's the God of second chances. He's the God of grace as we saw yesterday. Do not discount yourself. God used Jonah and this is how he responds. Now maybe, let's, let's just be really honest. I won't ask for a show of hands. But I wonder if there's some of us this week, let's say the healing night last night, Adrian leading us in this moment. If you've got any sickness, any pain, just raise your hand where you are to pray. And your friends raise their hand. And you know that the reason they're raising their hand is because they were stupid earlier that day, doing some kind of, I don't know, trying to flip over some tent or something. And they've landed on their back and they've hurt their back. And you're looking at them like, it's your own fault. God's not going to heal you. That was just stupidity. And then they're there. And they get prayed. Yeah, they've got the hand on the back. And it's like, well, test it out. And they're like, the pain's gone. It's amazing. And you're looking on like, What? I have been praying for years for God to heal me of something. You do something stupid and God heals you straight away. That's not fair. I wonder, maybe there may have been some of us here. Or maybe you've come with your youth group and you're looking at, you know, you're like, everyone here is going to meet with God. It's going to be amazing, apart from that one person. They're, you know, they're just here for fun. They're just, you know, they're like, we, kinda, we let them tag along. We pretend we like them, but they're kind of, they're way too far out. And then the salvation moments comes and they've come forward. And you're like, no way. That is not fair. How can that, you know, let's be honest, those kind of things are in us as well. We look at Jonah and we think, this guy's mad. But the reality is we're quite similar. We have these things in us, jealousy, comparison, looking down on people, judgmentalism. Guys, that's in all of us. And that's going to follow you out of New Day. And God knows it. And God loves you. And God's calling you still to do things for him. Isn't it incredible? Jonah was displeased with God for his kindness towards Nineveh, and God still used him. Jonah was also displeased with God because of who God is. He has the cheek to say to God. It says, it really displeased God. He was so angry with God that he prayed. We're like, wow, that's, that's the Psalms right there. Take your anger to God. Tell God how you feel. He literally says this, this is why I didn't want to come. I knew that you are kind. He's literally like, I knew that if I went there, you wouldn't do what I said you would do and I would look stupid and I don't want to look stupid. The most important thing in the world is me looking good. That's genuinely what he's praying to God. Now that is not a prayer we should pray. There's many prayers we could pray. That's probably not going to get us in there. You know, it's not going to help us in our journey. Jonah is someone that's really full of pride. He cared so deeply about how he looked and how people perceived him that he was angry when God showed kindness to others. I've got to be really honest with you. I know that I too often care about what I look like. And you may not believe that, but I genuinely do. Sometimes I'm so caught up in what others think of me. And actually, that's been my story throughout my life, is that the, the need for people to think well of me has often driven me to do things that I know I shouldn't be doing, that I want to say no to, but I'm unable to because I'm so worried about what other people think of me. There'll be some of us in the room that are similar. But we're thinking about as we leave New Day, we really want to live for Jesus. We want to be those that run for him. But we also know that there's this battle going on, that what others think of us really dominates our decisions and draws us into things. Maybe you'll go home and the first few weeks are going to be great over the summer. You're reading your Bible every day. You're really enjoying it. You're learning things about God. You're praying. You're meeting with one another, those that you've been at New Day with. You're encouraging one another and building one another up. And then day one of school comes and you walk into school and there's that friend or that friendship group that you really care about what they think of you. 
And they're all going, hey, yeah, great to see you, mate. How you doing? How was your summer? What did you do? Oh, yeah, well, you know, I just chilled out with my mates. I went on holiday to Norfolk. Why'd you go to Norfolk? Ah, oh, you know, there's something there going on. Uh, I did this. And we're suddenly like so worried about what they think of us that it makes us shrink away. That was Jonah. Jonah was so bothered about what he thought that that's why he was so angry with God. He was so worried about what he looked like. And yet God still used him. And God wants to bring us to a place of freedom from those things. If you know that the fear of what others think of you is a challenge for you to really run for Jesus, I want to encourage you. Get prayer with your friends. Be accountable to your youth leaders. Help them to help you with those things. Often, one of the things I find really fascinating is that for us, we kind of imagine that God's going to do something in us and we're going to change immediately, right? We live in an instant culture. Just like that kind of, you know, even now, it's like being at New Day and the, the signal's rubbish and it takes like three seconds for a video to load. And you're like, forget it, it's over. I've waited too long. You know, we've ordered food from McDonald's and it's taken five minutes rather than one minute. You know, it's like always worrying. You know, sometimes you go to like one, I don't know, you go for somewhere for breakfast, you order your breakfast and they bring the food out to you before you've even sat down. How can you cook it that far? You haven't cooked that food. That's just been sat somewhere and you've put it on a plate and brought it to me. I don't want to eat that. That's worrying. That's the culture we live in. And so then we take that into our walk with God. And we think that, right, God's met with me at New Day. Now I'm just going to be walking in maturity my whole life. But you know what the Bible says? I love that Jesus says this. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that's planted into the ground and grows to become a mighty oak tree. I'm like, oh yeah, I want to be a mighty oak tree. I am ready, Lord. Use me. Grow me. May my shade bring, you know, my leaves bring shade and shelter for all around me. May I be strength and hope to everyone. Forgetting that the time it takes for a mustard seed to grow into a mighty oak tree is a pretty long time. I mean, you're talking hundreds of years for them to grow to the size that they are. And yet we think that God's going to do it immediately. Can I encourage you? We are a work in progress. As you leave New Day, you need to hear this. God is not expecting perfection from you, but he is expecting devotion. God wants us to be those that stay close to him, that love him, that listen to him, that obey him. But that when we get it wrong, we remember what we've learned this week, which is God is always a God that follows. God is always a God that pursues. God is always a God of second chances. And so we can come back to him. We can stop running and encounter peace and acceptance with him. But it doesn't even end there. Jonah's mad at God because he didn't kill everyone. He's mad at God because he looks stupid. And he gets really mad at God because a plant dies. He has this kind of weird, tragic love story thing going on at the end of this. He literally, he sulks out of the city. Oh, it's still there. I can't even look at it. Just so upset. I don't even want to look at Nineveh. Look at them all enjoying God's grace. Outrageous. And he sits under, he makes himself some kind of booth thing and he just sits there like wallowing in his self-pity. It's so rubbish, don't know why I've ever bothered. Should have stayed in the fish, in the belly of the fish. It was much better there. So, so happy. And then he's like, oh, I'm feel, feeling some shade. Oh, what's this lovely little plant? That's great. Oh, I really like this plant. I'm going to call him Henry. Hello, Henry. He's chatting away with Henry. I've just been feeling a bit sad today. Henry's really encouraging him. And then it says the Lord appointed a plant. So the Lord gives him this plant. He's like, oh, this is so lovely. And it says the Lord appointed a worm. And the worm kind of nuzzles into this plant and it starts to wither and the sun scorches it and it dies. It says that Jonah is so upset that he's literally saying, I would rather die. Life is not worth living. Henry, the plant is gone. (laughs) That's genuinely what he's doing at this moment over a plant. He's mad at God because God didn't kill people. 
And now he's mad at God because a plant died. Just think about that for one second. All the vegetarians here are like, yes! <laughs> Poor Henry! We need him! But we see here, Jonas has got it totally messed up. He has no pity for people, but he has pity for a plant. He's kind of claiming that, like, this was my thing. I worked really hard on it. He had nothing to do with it. God just gave it to him, and then it, it went away. And again, this is what will happen to us. I really want you to hear this. I want you to be encouraged by this news. Chapter 4 is there for our encouragement to show us that Jonah didn't go from a fool that ran away from God to then someone that ran to God to then someone that ran for God and his life was just amazing and he was perfect for the rest of his life. Chapter 4 is there to show us that we will make mistakes, we will get it wrong, and that God still loves us. God will not give up on you. That's what chapter four tells us. God will not give up on you. He will never let go of you. And I love the fact that in this chapter, we see God's kindness twice. He comes after Jonah. He's sulked off because the city's not being destroyed. And God says to him, do you do well to be angry? I love that. I'm going to start using that with my children. Do you do well to be angry in this moment? Yes, I do. He says that a second time. Yes, I do do well to be angry. And I'm even angry enough to die. So I'm like my kids. I'm like, yeah. One of them's here. Not you, Annabeth. More Millie. Um, but we see that. We see that often, don't we? And yet God comes to him. God still comes to us. And so as you come out a new day, whatever comes in this next year, whatever challenges you face, whatever pain you walk through, whatever mistakes you make, God will be right beside you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And just quickly, four things on God I want to highlight that Jonah says about him. The first is this. He says that God is gracious. What that means is that God delights over the undeserving. You know, one of the things we say to our kids, and actually we learned it at New Day. We were at New Day years ago, and someone was speaking on the main stage, and they brought their kids up, and they were talking about grace. And they said this. We say to our kids, and so we say it to our girls all the time. Listen, we love you when you're good. We love you when you're naughty. We love you all the time. And so when they've done things that are wrong, when they've made mistakes, we'll call them in, we'll discipline them, but then we'll always tell them, listen, do we love you when you act like that? And they say, no. Yes, we do. When they're good, we love you when you're good. We love you when you're naughty. We love you all the time. And that's true for us with the Lord. God loves us. When we're riding the high of the roller coaster and life is going well and we're walking well for him, God loves us. When we're in the deepest lows, Maybe some of us, we've come to New Day. I've just, made, I've just joked about it, but maybe you've come to New Day and you have been questioning the worth of your life. You've been struggling with suicidal thoughts. God is with you in that moment. God loves you and God cares. He came to Jonah in that place and he drew close to him. He's gracious. He says he's merciful. God is merciful. What that means is that God gets your pain. He cares about the pain and sorrow you're facing. And that he is a God, as we looked at grace yesterday, which means that we get what we don't deserve. Mercy means that we don't get what we do deserve. So Jonah deserved for God to just leave him out, right? It's like, oh, you're just dropping. You know, you've been a petulant child. You just go and wander off into the sun and collapse or whatever. But he doesn't. He shows mercy to him. He gives him what he doesn't deserve. He draws close to him. He brings a plant to bring him shelter and shade. God is merciful to you and I. He's compassionate. He cares about what's going on in our lives. He's slow to anger. He is slow to anger. Some of us, we grew up with parents that were quick to anger, teachers that were quick to anger. 
when we made a mistake, we knew it. That's not what God is like. He's patient and he's gentle with us. In our weaknesses, in our failures and in our sins, he's slow to anger and he's abounding in love. His love is overflowing. His love will never run out. No matter what you do, no matter how far you run, his love will always pursue you. He will always follow you and he'll always call you home. There's a story that TJ actually spoke on uh, when he was preaching the other night called the, the Prodigal Son. And in this story, we see that actually there's two sons. One says to him, you know, give me my inheritance now. I wish you were dead. He gets his inheritance. He runs off. He wastes it all. He's kind of living this life that's just total rejection of his father to the point there then where he has nothing. He's just wasted it on a lifestyle that's not honoring of his father. Hadn't thought about any of it. And he's finally at a point where he has nothing. He's literally sharing the food that the pigs are eating. And he remembers, my father treats his servants better than this. So he decides, I'm going to walk back. And he's walking back. He's practicing his speech. And the story tells us that the father sees the son coming back. And as soon as he sees him, he runs to meet him. God runs to you. Throughout this year, when there are those moments, which there will be, when we drift and where we slide and where we turn away, as soon as we turn back, he will run towards us. You never have to fear. If you turn back to God, you never have to fear rejection. You never have to fear his anger. Jesus took the anger of God on the cross so that we don't have to. Remember, that t-shirt remains pure and clean because of the grace of God over our lives. But there's a second brother in that story. And that second brother really is a bit like Jonah. He stayed close to the father. So it's different in that way. But basically, he'd been close to the father. He'd not run off. And when the son comes back, he gets really angry. There's a party going on. The father's so happy the son's back. And the older brother just stands outside. I'm not going in there. What, your son that took all your money and now come back, you're throwing a party for him. He doesn't deserve the party. And the father comes out to him as well. And he says, come, come in. Some of us, we're not going to literally run away. Our lifestyles may not even show it, but our hearts over this year are going to harden to God. Maybe even you're here now. You've gone to church your entire life. You know all the answers in your head, but you know your heart is hard to God. You're like the older brother. You've been close, but you've never stepped into the party. Today, God's coming to you. He had concern over Nineveh, and he has concern over you. The God that is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in love is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he will follow you as you leave this place. He will walk with you. He will remain with you. And he will never forsake you. And so there's hope for us. Jonah has issues, just as you and I have issues, will have issues, and will ongoingly have issues. But God loves us. God remains with us. It says that he, if we repent, if we turn and say sorry to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And I just felt before the band, well, the band are going to come up any second uh, and lead us in some worship to delight over this good news that God loves us that he's for us, that he's going to lead us into those things. I just do feel that I'd want to encourage you now. If you're here, the one that loves you no matter what, you've not responded to him yet, and you would like to. If you would like to know the love and the grace and the affection of God, 
for the first time in your life. You want to be someone that follows him and lives for him all your life, through the ups and downs, knowing God with you. I just want to invite you to stand. I just feel it would be wrong of me to not give you an opportunity. If you're feeling wrong, I just know, I just need to respond to God for the invitation to come into the party. Thank you. Well done. Let's keep going. If there's anyone else. Amazing. Well done, guys. Wow. You're not late to the party. You're not late to the party. Well done. Amazing. I'd love to pray for you. And then I think we've got some friends that would love to just chat with you and pray with you as well. And so once I've prayed, just head out to the doors over to this side and hopefully, hopefully there'll be someone there. Sandeep will make sure there are. Uh, why don't you just close your eyes and hold your hands out? God loves you. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you. And the decision that you've just made to stand and say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. I want to walk and run for and with the running God. The Lord delights over. So Jesus, I thank you that you offer forgiveness of sins. I thank you that you offer cleansing from stains and from shame. I thank you that you save us from being trapped in our sins and you save us into purpose and plans and destiny for God. And I just pray right now for these dear ones that have stood. Jesus, would you lead them? Would they know you so close? Would they be able to repent of their sin? Would they be able to receive your forgiveness and they would be filled with your spirit? Lord God, I pray that this would be a beginning of an adventure with God, in the highs and the lows, that they would know God with them and God for them. And so we pray for them. We pray, bless them, lead them, love them, and show them just how good you are, we pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you.